0: Welcome to BlitzCast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another BlitzCast episode. We have a great show on tap for you. We're going to talk about Drew Brees' retirement. We're going to be hitting on... NFL free agency moves, you know, moves that we liked and moves that we didn't like. We're also going to break down the linebackers in this draft. Three, four outside linebackers, four, three outside linebackers, inside linebackers. We've got you covered. But before we get to all those topics, we have an interview to get to. Uh, we're joined by a guest. His name is Kevin Thompson. He's a quarterback for the Washington Huskies and this year's NFL draft prospect. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Uh, appreciate you having me on. How you doing? You're up in Colorado at Landau Performance. Tell us about that experience.
0: I'm on my second week here now. Just doing, you know, two weeks here at Landau. I was at Test uh, Football Academy in New Jersey previously for the last eight weeks. But, yeah, just coming out here to Colorado, switching it up a little bit. It's, it's been fun. Uh, I feel like uh, I've learned learned some stuff since I've been here already and uh, kind of getting getting used to the elevations. That's been uh, interesting, see if it helps out at all.
1: So playing for the Broncos is not going to be a big deal to you, right? Oh, uh, no. That, I mean, that'd be great. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. I'd love <laughs> to play for, for any team in the NFL. No, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, you definitely feel it when you're running around uh, – got to breathe a little harder, but, you know, you get used to it.
1: Kevin, you've got one of the more fascinating stories out there. Tell our listeners about your journey and the adversity that you have faced before you even came to Sacramento State.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a long story, but, you know, to keep it short, I mean, started my career off 2014 at uh, UNLV and uh, was recruited by Coach House there. And, After our first season, my first fall season, they were let go, and new staff came in and heading into my registered freshman year right before the season started, uh, tore my elbow up a little bit, got Tommy John surgery, and took about 18 months to recover, and about halfway through that recovery, I decided to leave UNLV to kind of go back home, focus on my recovery, you know, figure out exactly what I wanted to do. And I had no offers. I had two D2 offers, obviously, coming off the elbow injury and hadn't taken a snap, you know, since 2013 in high school. So it was kind of tough to get some interest. But, you know, luckily Coach Sears at the time at Sac State, you know, gave me a call really last minute. It was like November uh, right of 2016, right before, you know, spring of 2017. I was trying to get into a school spring of 2017, so I could compete in a spring ball. And uh, he called me up like November, asked me if I wanted to come out on a visit. And I said, yeah. So I was working at the time, took some time off work, went down there. And they were like, they gave me a half a half scholarship, just covered my uh, tuition and books and said, if you win the job, we'll put you on a full. And that was uh, FCS Division One, And that was at the highest level I had an offer to. And I knew I'd be eligible right away. So I just jumped on it. And then eventually, you know, won a job, got put on a full, and now I'm here today. What is
2: the highlight of your career at Sacramento State?
0: Definitely, you know, athletically speaking, winning the, the Big Sky Championship, you know, beating UC Davis. It was kind of like a culmination of all the years put together that I was there to get to that point. You know, that was the goal from the day that I stepped foot on campus there. And, you know, I told myself that, and I told the coaches at the time that I didn't want to leave, you know, that school without winning a big sky title. So to be able to do that and was really special, but just the the relationships really that you build with everyone along the way. You know, I've been at three different universities. I've played for multiple different coaching staffs and, you know, five different coaching staffs. And so you get to develop a lot of really good relationships and learn a ton about the game and, about life and about yourself along the way. So those are the things I'm going to be able to use, you know, moving forward that'll hopefully translate to the next level and, and in my personal life as well.
2: Why did you transfer to Washington?
0: A couple of reasons, really. I mean, first off kind of was looking at the landscape of things at the time and was kind of making some assumptions based on, what I saw, you know, going on with COVID and with, with all the shutdowns, but then also just, you know, come, after coming off a, a big season and I was already in grad school at the time, you know, I never really expected to be in the position to graduate transfer, you know, when I went into college and just being in, in that position, you know, I kind of wanted to, you know, e- explore my opportunities and I felt like I would have an opportunity to play at the highest level you know, after proving, you know, what I was able to do at the SDS level. And so I just kind of uh, took a leap of faith and, you know, kind of followed my dreams of wanting to prove myself at the highest level and talk to my family and decided, you know, that's what I wanted to do and decided I wasn't going to look back.
1: Was that really important to you when you made that decision to stay closer to home? Because, I mean, you are from Washington.
0: Not the most important, but looking back on it, it it was great. Uh, to be able to to spend more time with my family and to be closer to home, you know, with everything going on. Uh, I hadn't seen my family in in quite some time before that. So I I wouldn't say it was like a a deciding factor, but the fact that that is what happened and I was presented that opportunity, as as soon as I was presented that opportunity, I jumped on it. Um, I think once I was given the opportunity, I realized that I I did want to be closer to home.
1: Kevin, what was the best part about being a Husky?
0: I, I think just the learning experience like playing for, for Coach Donovan and, and learning about his offense and it kind of translates at the professional level. He, he came from, from Jacksonville. So he spent some time around the NFL and um, he asked a lot you know, of his quarterbacks to make checks and change plays and change protections and so, and operate out of the huddle, things that I hadn't had a ton of experience doing. Um, so it was just a great learning experience for me. And then I really just enjoyed building the relationship with other, with other QBs. I think we all got really close, and um, we're all supporting one another along the way. And,
2: you know, it was just really fun hanging out and getting to know those guys. Why will the Huskies win the Pac-12 this coming season? Make the case for them.
0: Uh, they got a, a ton of experience coming back offensively. Um, you already know they're going to be really talented on, on the defensive side of the ball with with Coach Lake, and they really fly around. So you know, I don't think that'll ever be an issue. But uh, offensively, ton of guys coming back. The whole O line, uh, Kate Auden, you know, first team tight end, Dylan's coming back. He's he's got some good experience. Kind of got his feet wet and played well and was a good leader for the team so uh you know I think they got all the pieces and uh you know if they just put it together and take it week by week they got the talent for sure
1: who was the toughest opponent for the Washington team this past season
0: well I think I mean honestly I think every game you know you kind of feel that and that anxiousness and so we we try to treat every game the same but you know, obviously Stanford, I mean, we were only able to play four games and our, our long loss came to Stanford. Yeah. They played extremely well. I just think they were uh, well coached and well prepared for the game. They, they, they were converting on third downs and and just moving the ball and gel really well as a team. But yeah, I think every game, you know, try to treat every game the same. You know, the, the Utah game was, was pretty intense there in the second half. And um, but just having only played four games and no fans is a really strange strange deal, but still a great experience. Learned a ton and had a lot of fun.
1: Kevin, you've obviously had a busy off season just like any typical draft prospect out there going from Test Academy in New Jersey and now to Landau, but you've also attended three All Star games, right? The the Tropical Bowl, the CGS, the Hula Bowl. You've been traveling across country and and seeing some states that you wouldn't normally see, tell us about those experiences.
0: These are all definitely new places for me. Uh, you know, I'm really thankful um, to be able to go experience, you know, all these different games and meet these different people and 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 work on my game and go to different places of the country. So uh, I appreciate my agent, you know, Adam Snyder, for doing that for me. Um, he's been great. Yeah, so I went to the Tropical Bowl and then right from there, which was in Orlando, and then right from there uh, to the CGS, which was um, in Dallas. I, I decided to pass up actually on the on the Hula Bowl, you know, traveling to Hawaii and having already traveled quite a bit. You know, I decided I wanted to just focus on my training. But yeah, going to Washington and New Jersey uh, a couple of weeks later to Orlando and right to Dallas and back to New Jersey. and or here to Denver now, and then I'll be heading home soon back to Seattle, but it's been a lot of fun, you know, great event, you get to meet a lot of people, keep working on your game, show what you got, sh- Show your arm off a little bit, have fun, talk to some different scouts and whatnot, all, all the great experience that I'm really thankful for, and, and I think will help me, you know, after pro day. What have you learned the most
2: during your draft preparation?
0: You just got to keep working and, and stay consistent, you know, bring it every day, and there's going to be bumps along the way, you know, you might not perform as well as you want to do on one day as opposed to another, but you just, you know, keep getting after it, uh, keep the same mentality and just, you know, give everything you got. And then if you do that, you can't have any regrets. So um, a little bit of an up and down process sometimes, but a ton of fun. I've met a, a bunch of different guys that I feel like I've, I've got good bonds with. And I'm excited to see, you know, what they do at the next level.
2: Is there an NFL quarterback you look up to?
0: Um, I've always been a fan of of Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. Um, watched a lot of them. You know, just being from the Seattle area, you know, big Seahawks fan. So, you know, I think he's a, he's been a great leader for that team. and What he's been able to do for that organization has been pretty incredible. So, you know, I've enjoyed watching him, and I, I think he does some great stuff off the field as well. And then uh, Aaron Rodgers – You know, might be my favorite quarterback to watch on the field. I just, the way he throws the ball, different arm angles, uh, off platform, you know, he's just really smooth, uh, looks comfortable out there. You know, I think he just operates really well. I I would try to model my game probably after him.
1: Kevin, what is the biggest attribute that you would bring to an NFL team?
0: Yeah, I think just consistency, you know, you know, every day, uh, really motivated to prove and, and show what I can do uh, at the next level and, you know, willing willing to do whatever it takes to to play at that next level. And then the way the game is, the quarterback position, you know, the way throws are made and moving around and not being able to set your feet and throwing from different arm angles, I think is a strength of mine, something I've always kind of naturally been good at. So, you know, I feel like I can operate – you know, well in the pocket and moving around.
1: When is the big day? When is the pro day?
0: Yeah, we're going We're going to be March 30th, uh, University of Washington. I believe it's going to be aired on, some of it will be aired on the NFL Network as well.
1: You've got a script already? How many throws?
0: Yeah, yeah, I got a, uh, just working on finishing it up, it's going to be short and sweet, you know, 30 to, to 40 throws, maybe 35 throws. Um, show a little bit of everything um, and, and keep it short and sweet. Ready for it.
1: Well, Kevin, good luck with your pro day, and uh, thank you for stopping by and sharing your story.
0: Yeah, of course, appreciate it. Thanks, guys.
1: Drew Brees Ed. obviously he's had a, a stellar career. Uh, he set a, a few passing records that are here to stay for for the longest time. And how are you gonna remember? drew Brees and uh what he um he brought to the nfl
2: i'd say he's the greatest quarterback of all time who didn't have a deep ball <laughs> you know i mean there's there's a few things that will always kind of be on his record you know he has 571 passing touchdowns which is second all time currently He holds the career passing yards record, you know, so a big stat producer, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, and I mean, he's a Super Bowl champion, you know, great, I mean, just a great quarterback, a great leader, and you know what, I think he's going to continue his greatness in the booth, I think he's going to be the number one commentator for NBC.
1: He's got a sharp wit mind, and he obviously knows the game, and we've seen what Tony Romo has done for CBS, and um, I'm sure Drew Brees is going to be able to relate like that as well. And it's just, I'll always remember Drew Brees for this because when Katrina happened in New Orleans, in Louisiana, that, that was a terrible time. And the Saints moved away for a year before they came back to that stadium, and then they won the Super Bowl. And that was so uplifting for the city, for the people. The Saints became the, the team that everyone rooted for. And um, obviously Drew Brees was the face of that franchise. I, that's what I'm going to remember him for. And just imagine this. This guy could have signed, after he was leaving San Diego, the Miami Dolphins were interested in him. I mean, that's a story that, that's out there. And the Dolphins doctors, they they didn't let Saban sign Drew Brees. But Things could have turned out a lot differently for him because if he would have went for the Dolphins, he might have not had that story career because him and Peyton, Sean Peyton, that was like the greatest duo. I mean, you have the quarterback and you have the head coach and play caller. We've never seen something like that before. They just had a special connection that we might not see ever again.
2: You know, one thing is, is that I I do think that Drew Brees was a great guy off the field. I know he um, got himself into some trouble. I don't I don't know all the specifics, but you know something about you know what he put on Twitter or whatever. You know, it, and it was very untimely at the time. And but I mean, you know, just from everything else you know, after he apologized and so forth, I think he's really, you know, I think he's a great character guy. I mean, I've really, I've never seen him, you know, ever be unprofessional in an interview. I've always seen him have a good attitude. I mean, a great player on the field. I think he's been, not only has he been a great football player on the field, I think he's been a great man off the field.
1: And he paved the way for all the short quarterbacks out there. He arrived in like 2001 before people were giving these quarterbacks a chance. And then 10 years later, we saw Russell Wilson surface. Then we saw Baker Mayfield. Then we saw Kyler Murray. And now it's almost accepted. Like it doesn't matter how tall or how short you are, just as long as you can read the field and find the open man. But at that time, that wasn't the popular thing to do. A quarterback... In the early 2000s, was supposed to look like Peyton Manning, supposed to look like Ryan Leaf or Tom Brady. These pocket quarterbacks were big uh, guys that can stand in the pocket, and Drew Brees kind of broke those barriers and paved the way for those undersized quarterbacks and i don't think we'll ever see a guy like that again because right now the game has changed to a point that if you have a shorter quarterback he has to be mobile he has to be able to move out of the pocket he has to be able to pick up yards with his feet so drew Brees is almost like he's instinct he's a rarity look at all the negativity that mac jones is receiving from people because he is he's not a running quarterback he can't create I'm not sure that we'll ever see somebody like Drew Brees again. And you already mentioned that he didn't have the biggest arm, never has, but he was one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the in the entire NFL during his time. And he was able to find the open man. He read the field well and and threw with anticipation. So I wish Drew Brees all the best in his upcoming job in the booth. And you know, Ed and I are gonna. Just enjoy all of his broadcasts. Let's talk about free agency. Who is signing? Where? Who is going? Where? I want to ask you, like, which team do you think has done the best so far in free agency? You know, I I give the Browns a lot of credit for
2: getting John Johnson the third. I just think, you know, they go from basically, you know, being weak in the secondary to having Ronnie Harrison and John Johnson in the in the safety room. They make a gain there. I think they got him for a pretty good deal. I mean, his cap hit in 2021 will only be 5 and a quarter million. I mean, that's really good considering the fact that I mean, he's going to he's going to walk in and he's going to, you know, he's going to be one of the leaders of the defense.
1: Yeah, Josh Johnson was a was a fantastic signing for the Cleveland Browns. It doesn't bode well for our boy, Grant Delpit, who's coming off an injury because now the Browns are set at both safety spots. So I'm not sure what's going to happen to Delpit. He's going to sit on the bench as he uh, recovers and, and stays healthy. But Josh Johnson is one of the better safeties in the league that nobody talks about. When we talk about the top, top guys, he's rarely mentioned with you know the Justin Simmons or Tyron Matthews or the other guys out there like Jamal Adams it's a shame because that that that's definitely an underrated move any more moves that you were impressed with for the Cowboys to get Dak Prescott under contract is
2: a big win for them because now they've got a franchise quarterback going forward for the next few years and so I think that's actually a huge improvement for their team
1: I like the Joe Tooney uh, signing for the Kansas City Chiefs. They needed help at the offensive line after they they cut both of their tackles and they've been addressing the offensive line. I like Joe Tooney. Even though he signed for a lot of money, he's one of the best guards in the game, and uh, the Chiefs certainly made their interior offensive line a lot better. I also like Yannick Ngakwe. Just because he didn't get a big contract from the Raiders, he signed a a two-year deal. And the Raiders needed to improve their pass rush. I mean, that was like an Achilles heel for them last year. They weren't able to get after the quarterback, and they needed desperately to bring someone in there. Yannick Ngakwe is certainly going to help. But can you explain to me what the hell is going on with the, the rest of the Raiders team? They just traded Rodney Hudson. They traded away Trent Brown they're shopping Gabe Jackson. They don't have an offensive line. Colton Miller is the only guy that that's manning their left side out there. The Raiders, what, what do they think? I mean, do they think that Josh Jacobs is going to be able to find uh, holes without the offensive line? You know, I, I think if there's
2: one thing that's going on, and I, I, I hate to I hate to crush people, but you know what? I don't think May- Mike Mayock is really doing very well as the GM of the Raiders. I mean, you mentioned it with the trading of Rodney Hudson. I mean, there have been some very questionable draft picks in his era, especially in the first round. I mean, you have to think Henry Ruggs was a big miss. I mean, especially in that run in that wide receiver class for them to go with him at number twelve. I mean, you know, the Raiders have had a lot of picks over the last few years, and they should be a much more talented team. I mean, you see like a team like the the Browns who have had a lot of picks and now they're starting to build something. Now they're you know, starting to be a playoff team. But you know the Raiders, they've had a lot of picks, but I don't think they've really taken advantage of the picks that they've had.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whether it's John Gruden or Mike Mayock, I mean, they're working together. And to be honest with you, the first person that's going to go is Mike Mayock. We all know John Gruden is running that organization, but they're just not working well together. And... Right now, they're cutting bait. They're getting rid of some of their bigger salary guys, but it sounds like, it seems like Mike Mayock is going to be addressing the offensive line in the first and, and second round of the draft because they just don't have much. They need to protect Derek Carr, and they invested a lot in Josh Jacobs by picking him in the first round. you got to have a good offensive line, or this is going to turn into a Le'Veon Bell situation like with the New York Jets. Bring in the a good running back, but not have the offensive line there. Uh, they, they've got to fix it really fast. I got to ask you about the Patriots. Obviously, New England has been ultra aggressive. I didn't think that I was going to see this. This is like a rarity. I understand that Bill Belichick wants to come back to his winning ways, and uh, he just saw Tom Brady win a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Bucks, and there's no way that he can accept this mediocrity. He wants to get back in the playoffs, and He sees other teams improving, like the Dolphins and the Bills. People aren't sitting still. But this is so unpatriot-like. Like Like They usually sit back and they usually pick up guys that are... they, They get them at a bargain price in the second week of free agency. Well, Bill has gotten the hang of American Express, and he's just waving it around, and he's like, All right, I've got money to spend. Come on in. I'm just shocked. It's so unlike him. A lot of desperate moves in my opinion. What do you think? I, I think they they overspent for a lot
2: of average guys, you know, that's that's really what I see. Jalen Mills, I mean, I don't even know if he's gonna be in there starting two. I mean he might come in on the, the dime package, but I mean or you know, that quarter sort of quarters package, but Jalen Mills, I mean, to spend that kind of money for him. There's there's others. I mean, you know, they they got Hunter Henry and John U. Smith, but they spent a ton of money. And they don't have the receiving core.
1: Nelson Aguilar, I mean, Bill believes that Nelson Aguilar is going to save him. A number three receiver in this league, and he believes that he's going to save him. He did have a career year with the Raiders, but I just have a feeling that we won't hear from Nelson Aguilar again. How can Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry become the, the highest paid tight ends in the league? I understand it's inflation, and every year... This guy is going to be the highest at his position. We saw it with Trent Williams with the 49ers. But they picked two tight ends in the third round last year, Dalton Keene and Devin Asiasi. Well, Bill is already admitting that he made mistakes, right, with those two picks if he signed Jono Smith and Hunter Henry, the the following free agency, right?
2: Yeah, I, I mean... I mean I think that, you know, they have they have two weapons at tight end, but I mean they've had better tight end weapons. I mean, you talk about the days when they were running out Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. I mean, that's a better that's a better tight end combo. I understand the move, it's a little outside the box and so forth and it'll make it easier to move the ball but I'm just much more I'm just much more privy to getting wide receivers who can sort of do all kinds of different things for you I mean that's that's kind of how you win is you know building up your wide receiver core you know yeah maybe you have a couple big targets for Cam Newton but it's how the Patriots have won for so long but I mean there's a reason no one else is really doing that.
1: It's an end of an era. I didn't think we were gonna see this. I thought Bill was gonna just ride off into the sunset but I get the feeling that this is it. What we saw last year is something that we just have to get accustomed to. The Patriot way, the Patriots, it's over. It's how it is. I mean, they they dominated for 20 years. In the NFL, it's it's a league of parity. And for them to be that competitive, for them to get into the playoffs almost every year, for them to have a shot at the Super Bowl and win, what, six of them? Is absolutely amazing. We'll never see that again for as long as I'm alive. I'm convinced of that. But I just feel like it's the end for Bill Belichick. It's the end of the Patriots. I mean, I'm not optimistic about their moves. I think the best move that they made was bringing Kyle Van Noy back. I thought that was a good move because they didn't get him for a ton of money. They signed him to a two year deal and. And obviously, he knows that system, and he did really well there for a couple of years. I thought that was a really good move, but other than that, everybody overpays in free agency, but it seems like I mean the the Patriots were just out of control. Patriot fans, you know i you've had a great run for twenty years, but it's kind of a a passing of the torch and it seems like it's over because this this division is getting stronger if the Jets get Zach Wilson at number two. We see the Dolphins have gotten better, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They've got a good coach, and the Bills are are here to stay because their quarterback has developed and has taken great strides uh, to improve and and get better. All right, let's talk about linebackers, Ed. Uh, We're going to mention guys that play in a 3-4 scheme, 4-3 scheme. We're going to talk about inside linebackers. Yeah, let's start with the inside linebackers. Uh, You'll run through top five list, and let's start at at number five.
2: Number five, I got Baron Browning, uh, inside linebacker from the Ohio State Buckeyes. He's a true senior. He's 6'3", 240 pounds, four years of production. Um, Was actually only a part-time middle linebacker for the Buckeyes. Definitely a thumper. He was a five-star recruit out of high school. Sometimes needs better seed to do against the run, but he's a decent tackler. He can be good in run support, not great in zone coverage, but looks good tackling in space against the screen.
1: But this is one of those guys that could be a better player in the NFL, right? You're hoping for that because he, he's got the size. He's got He's pretty athletic. He has good speed, and um, you're hoping that he'll finally live up to that five-star recruit billing. I always have a tough time with these guys, uh, guys that underachieved a bit in college and drafting them a little bit higher than they should go, hoping that they finally develop into that big-time player.
2: Number four, I got Dylan Moses. He's a true senior, 6'3", 240 pounds, three years of production. Tore his ACL in 2019 in preseason, but he was a five-star recruit. Uh, played middle linebacker for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, needs to, he has to be careful not playing too aggressive. He has below average instincts, but he's decent in coverage. He's an average run defender and average tackler. I'm basically picking him on potential. That's why he's on this list. Um, you know, he's been very good for the Alabama Crimson Tide when healthy, and he has a lot of potential. I mean, I, I don't love the attributes, but as far as from, you know, production and a
1: an athletic standpoint, I like him. He's my number one inside linebacker. I still kept him there because I'm not in love with the other guys. The Dylan Moses that I saw in 2018 before his injury is a different player than what I saw in 2020. After he came back from an injury, he was tentative. His effort level wasn't there. I mean, he was kind of going through the motions. He wasn't seeking contact. He wasn't chasing after the ball like he was doing like 2 years ago, tentative, scared maybe a little bit. Maybe he's never been through an injury before. I saw a completely different player, and I even I went back and rewatched the 2018 like thinking maybe I overrated him, like maybe I was thinking that the sky is the limit. No. He was a much better player in 2018 before the injury. The reason why I kept him at number one is because I'm hoping he goes back to that form. Not everybody gets back to their being 100% full strength, you know, a year removed from injury. So I'm hoping that going through this process, you know, he's going to be able to get his knee stronger, have more faith in himself. And I just think that we might get the Dylan Moses that we saw from a couple of years ago. Number three, I got inside linebacker Monty Rice, uh, true senior, 6'1",
2: 235 pounds. Four years of college production, probably had the best twenty twenty of any of the inside linebackers in this group. I like the ability he shows to cover as an inside linebacker, Is a four-star recruit. Um, I like the aggressiveness he shows, he can kind of push the pile. Decent pass rusher as a linebacker, probably has average linebacker range. Uh, needs to get off blocks better in the run game, but he's a capable tackler. Monty Rice is my number three.
1: You always say, like, scout the player and not the helmet, but it's tough not to notice that there are plenty of Georgia linebackers in the NFL. So they, they teach them, they coach them well, and they're prepared to come in and just and be good producers in the league, some better than others. Obviously Roquan Smith is is a great example of a player just being that top ten pick who has become a star for the Chicago Bears. And then you have somebody like, you know, Leonard Floyd, who has been average at best and still gets paid. But Georgia linebackers, I mean, they, they do well in the NFL.
2: Number two, I got Tony Fields, the second inside linebacker from West Virginia. He's a senior, 6'1, 220 pounds. Um, was a tackle machine for the Mountaineers for four years, senior bowl guy, three-star recruit, needs better instincts and zone coverage, but he's aggressive shedding blocks in the run game. I like his C to do.
1: I like the way he puzzles blockers in the run game, and I like his persistence and run support. He actually transferred to West Virginia for his senior year. He was at Arizona before for three years. Um, obviously, he was at the senior bowl. I have Tony Fields like as an outside linebacker. I just think that... Because of his speed, because of his athleticism, you want him as a weak side linebacker attacking downhill where you don't have blockers around him. He is a smaller guy. I realize that he evades those tackles by being quick to the spot, but he's not going to be able to do that in the NFL because guys, even offensive linemen, are bigger, faster, and stronger and more athletic. Number one, I got Patty Fisher, uh, inside linebacker
2: from Northwestern. He's a senior, 6'4", 240, four years of production. He's a downhill linebacker, three-star recruit, third team All-Big Ten in 2019. He's good in zone coverage, decent instincts against the run. Um, I like the contact he gives receivers when they're running their route. Uh, If they come in his lane, he's going to bump them. Decent tackler, does a good job in man coverage, maybe a weakness is that he needs to get
1: off blocks a bit better, but Patty Fisher is a guy I like. For a 6'4 guy, you would hope that he uh, is able to shed those blocks a little bit quicker, right? I mean, that that's troubling, isn't it? For a guy who's about 6'3", 6'4", 240 pounds, I mean, he's not like a a six feet, 220 pound guy, right? He's got to be throwing those guys around, and he's just, he has a tough time. I also think he has a tough time in coverage. Like in zone coverage, he's fine, but in man coverage, he's too slow. I realize that you like these run defenders for inside linebackers, but I mean, the league has changed, Ed. And I just feel like it doesn't matter whether you're an outside linebacker or inside linebacker, pass coverage has to be, you have to be good at it. I just think Patty Fisher is going to struggle with that in the NFL. I see him as a two-down linebacker. We'll we'll see if he develops into a starter. Um, There are plenty of troubling things that I see on film, like not able to shed blocks, misses too many tackles, in my opinion. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's so aggressive by hitting that hole, trying to get in there, into that gap. And sometimes he guesses right, sometimes he guesses wrong. He needs to be more patient. He needs to let those you know, blocks develop up front before attacking. Uh, at times, I mean, he's just running kind of a, ahead of the play. You know, the running back is cutting back, and, and that's it. He's gone for, for an 80-yard touchdown. So I would say Patty Fisher is undisciplined in that regard. You have to kind of pick your spots a little bit. And it seems like too many times that he's trying to make a tackle for loss. And half of the time, he he gives up a big play to a running back. Like I said, Patty Fisher is not in my top five uh, of inside linebackers. And it's just I have more question marks about him than. All right, let's uh, move on to outside linebackers. Let's uh, go to let's start with the
2: 4-3. so I have to tell you what these guys is. I like something different about all of them. I like them all, but all for a different reason. <laughs> kind of like I'm looking for something different, and I like something different about all of them. Uh, number five, I got Charles Snowden, outside linebacker from Virginia. He's a true senior. He's 6'7", you heard me right, 6'7", 240 pounds, four years of production, three-star recruit out of high school, five sacks in 2019, six sacks in 2020, gets off block seasonally well. Um, he played on the edge for the Cavaliers. Good first step in athleticism to back up his size. What I like about him and why I think he can be an outside linebacker, his speed to get to the other side of the backfield shows that he could have very good range as a linebacker. So he's got a lot of speed. He has elite length to win matchups and fill running lanes in the running game. This could be a new trend in outside linebackers, these long, tall, outside linebackers, converted defensive ends, maybe guys who can't play on the edge, but you know who, who can still use their length as leverage. So Charles Snowden is my number five.
1: I would have had Snowden a lot higher in my rankings, but he's coming off an injury. He suffered an injury during his senior year. He went to the senior bowl, but didn't practice, didn't participate. Charles Snowden is very versatile. He can help you as a blitzer. He also, because of his length and long arms, he can disrupt those passing windows. He is pretty good in in pass coverage in that regard. He can do a lot of things for you. To me, he's a 3-4 outside linebacker because he can set the edge, he can get on the blitz, he can bend around the edge, and he's good in pass coverage. In my opinion, he is the epitome of a 3-4 outside linebacker. That big guy, you know, six 250, but he's not going to back down. He can shed some blocks. He can be physical at the point of attack. That's probably the only difference that I have here. You have him as a 4-3 guy. I have him as a as a three four guy. So
2: number four, I
1: got Jabril Cox, uh,
2: outside linebacker for the LSU Tigers. He's a redshirt senior. He's six four, two hundred thirty one pounds. Transfer from North Dakota State. All American in the FCS. That's a big deal to me. Two star recruit out of high school. Showed he overperformed in college. Uh, strong in man coverage. Needs to kind of have more of a killer instinct in the run game. But he has good coverage ability in zone, so you can use him in man or in zone. Uh, Needs to get off blocks better. um, Has a good bull rush as a blitzer, surprisingly, so you can blitz him. I say, you know what, if if you just want an outside linebacker who can cover, this is your guy.
1: But you also have to tackle, right? I mean, that that's the beauty of it. It's it's a pass coverage league, and you love him there because he's got the speed. He can stay with tight ends. He can stay with slot receivers. He showed it at North Dakota State as well uh, when they faced top competition, and he showed that at LSU. That's not a problem. But when you say he lacks a killer instinct, am I translating this correctly? Because this is what I have written soft.
2: Yeah, I mean, right? that, that, that's – Uh, I mean, I have one way of saying it. You have the way. I mean, there's multiple ways to say things in football, really, to be
1: honest. I mean, we agree there. He is soft. As a linebacker, that's like the worst thing that you can think of. I don't want a soft linebacker, Ed. I don't want a soft anything, to be honest. He's as soft as it gets because he doesn't want to stick his nose in there. He doesn't want to tackle anybody. Look, as a football player, you have to be tough, and you have to stick your nose in there. You don't want to see a guy, especially a linebacker, that's just shying away from contact. That's a big no-no. That's like a huge red flag. I know I'm being harsh, but Jabril Cox is one of the more overrated linebackers in this draft, just period. He doesn't want to tackle anybody.
2: All right, number three, I got Zaven Collins outside linebacker Tulsa he's a redshirt junior three-year starter for the Golden Hurricanes 6'4 260 pounds had four interceptions in 2020 which is a high for a player of his position he's physical in man coverage he's a decent pass rusher does fill the gaps in the running lanes needs to get off blocks better against the run needs better instincts against the run but he had excellent college production he really dominated at Tulsa and so that's why I have him as my number three
1: The only difference I have is I have him as a 3-4 outside linebacker just because of his size and just because he played it at Tulsa. He's very adept to that position. I don't want to change that. Like, he knows his responsibility. The one thing that really sticks out about Zayvon Collins is because you knew that he was the star linebacker for that team, and he just made plays at the most opportune times. He always came up, whether it was a fumble sack and interception to end the game you want playmakers at any position and he always showed up and I just love that about Zaven Collins we want to overthink this a little bit but you need playmakers at all positions and uh, Zaven Collins is is a great player I think he would fit really well for the Steelers or the Baltimore Ravens at the end of the first round
2: Number two, I got Micah Parsons, inside linebacker from Penn State. He's a true junior, 6'3", 244 pounds, two years of production in 2018 and 2019. Uh, Did not come back in 2020. Five-star recruit, first team all Big Ten in 2019. He's capable of executing run stunts, has the range to really disguise what he's going to do on a play. Um, Tries to be a little too heroic in coverage. Decent instincts, but not excellent. Gets off blocks well in the run game. Could possibly have four four speed, he's an elite athlete. He's number two because he's an elite athlete.
1: He is. I mean speed, athleticism, he's a great blitzer. Um against Memphis, that was that was a great game that he put together in in the bowl game in 2019. He dominated and I think he, he showed the entire world of what he could be. But he does run around too many blocks, he does miss tackles, doesn't always recognize those angles still learning the position. He wasn't a linebacker in, in high school. He was a wide receiver. They switched him to defense. I, I guess I wish he was more of a downhill player. Do you see him as a top 10, top 15 player in this draft? Gosh, I'd take him in the top 15 because of his athletic ability, but I'm don't. i I'm not as certain to take him in the top 10. Well, let, let's find out who your number one guy is at 4-3 outside linebacker.
2: Uh, Jeremiah owusu koromoa outside linebacker for Notre Dame, true senior, 6'1", 215 pounds, two years of production for the Fighting Irish. Has 4-5 speed, three-star recruit. Uh, needs to stay better balanced in coverage, but he has good linebacker range, capable of blitzing, um, using his speed to his advantage. He's physical in man coverage. Um, he'll line up in the slot for a linebacker. Very good in man coverage. So this is a guy I like. You know, first round, four-three outside linebacker.
1: Sure, you love those Notre Dame guys. I do love my Notre Dame guys. I shouldn't say my though. They're not mine. Well, they are. I mean, if you like them and uh, you know you you hype them up every week. I mean, you you like those Notre Dame Irish. And when he hits you, it hurts. I mean, he he brings the lumber. He hits you hard, and he's only like six one, what two twenty, and you feel it. When you're watching on screen, when you're watching the TV and you're not out there on the field and he's got great closing speed as well. Karamoa, he misses tackles, kind of hit and miss in that regard, but he's got good instincts, still developing and he brings a lot to the table. He's the modern day linebacker in today's age. You don't have to be big, but uh, you know, you you have to have speed. Uh, Let's go with the three, four outside linebackers. Number five, I got another team I like, or number,
2: well, yeah, I mean, another Notre Dame guy, Dalen Hayes, outside linebacker. Uh, he's 6'3, 258 pounds, redshirt senior, five years of production, um, although two of them were low production. Torn Labrum ended his season early in 2019. He medical redshirted. He's a four star recruit, great foot speed as a speed rusher, good bull rush, gets off blocks well. I'd say he's overall an above average pass
1: rusher, average run stopper. Just needs to get stronger as a pass rusher. I have Dalen Hayes as a defensive end, um, but again, I, I don't have a problem you putting him as a as a three four outside linebacker out there. I just think he's a lot bigger. Add another ten pounds, and he can be a he can be a three four DN. He could be give you that versatility as a four three or a three four as well.
2: Number four, I got Joseph Asai. Outside linebacker, uh, Texas Longhorns, true junior, uh, 6'4", 253 pounds, uh, three years of production for the Longhorns, two-year starter for the Longhorns, all Big 12 honorable mention in 2019, four-star recruit out of high school, played defensive end for the Longhorns. Uh, I'd say he's an average pass rusher from the edges, persistent getting off blocks as a pass rusher. I do like his hand fight in the trenches. You know, sometimes does get manhandled by lead blockers in the run game, so maybe you know putting him in space would be better. Has a quick first step and will test well enough to be able to drop in coverage.
1: No, he's going to test really well. And the one thing that really stands out on film is his motor. His motor is nonstop. I mean, this guy is he's chasing and pursued after the quarterback, wide receivers, downfield, running backs. This guy is always on. Yeah, you know, that's what you love to see from your. Edge rusher. I think he's a natural bender around the edge. Yeah, he has that capability. Obviously, he's going to test well. The only thing that scares me is he's had some injuries. He's had some injuries. That's like a theme on this show. I always grade those guys a little bit lower that have had some injury issues. Osai is one of those guys, and I'm a little bit more cautious with him. Number three, I got Taron Jackson.
2: Outside linebacker, Coastal Carolina. is a senior, 6'2", 260 pounds. Four years of production, 10 sacks in 2019, and 8.5 and in 2020. Not highly recruited out of high school. He's good at getting off blocks into the backfield. Has a good rip move to get off his blocks and tackle the ball carrier. Elite run defender for a three-four outside linebacker. Drew double teams as an edge rusher for the Chanticleers. Played defensive end for Coastal Carolina. He's a natural athlete as a pass rusher. This is my number three.
1: He's a 6 2 guy, and usually I put those guys as 3 4 outside linebackers, but for him, I made an exception. I think he's a defensive end for me in a 4 3, and that's probably the only difference. But another guy that's just nonstop. His motor is nonstop, but he needs more pass rush moves. He needs to refine that. And uh, you put him at, again, 3 4 outside linebacker. I kept him at a defensive end.
2: Number two, I got Quincy Roche, outside linebacker from Miami. He's a redshirt senior, 6'3", 245 pounds, 13 sacks in 2019. You heard that right, 13 sacks. Four years of college production, transfer from Temple, three-star recruit out of high school, good speed as a pass rusher, surprisingly strong bull rush, decent at getting off blocks in the run game, hard-nosed run defender, very good pass rusher. Did kind of have a dud of a senior year at Miami, and that's why he's number two and not number one.
1: I saw him and uh, Jalen Phillips kind of getting after the quarterback. I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, stat-wise, maybe it went down a little bit, but I saw a guy that put pressure on um, every game. He's got heavy hands. Like When he hits that offensive lineman, the old lineman kind of just goes back. I I think most people don't even expect him to be that strong because... What is he, six two and a half, like two hundred and forty-five, two hundred and fifty pounds? You wouldn't expect that. And I saw that at the senior bowl as well. He's got that bull rush and those heavy hands. That initial punch just gets the offensive lineman off balance. And then he's able to, you know, make those counter moves. And Quincy Rocher is adept in that regard. And then he can do like an inside move, or he can go around the corner and, and bend, get to the quarterback. I'm a big fan of Quincy Roche. Sometimes I ask myself, like, why wouldn't I have him, you know, higher up in my rankings? But it's just, I like this 3-4 outside linebacker class. I like a few guys there, and uh, and that's why I have Quincy Roche a little bit lower. But I, I thought he had a good season at Miami. I don't think he took a step back after he transferred from Temple where he dominated and went to the Hurricanes. So number one, I got
2: Patrick Jones, the second outside linebacker from Pitt, Uh, redshirt senior, 6'5", 260 pounds, high 4'7 speed, played four years for the Panthers, three-star high recruit out of high school. He's a quick first step, great explosion from his stance to the edge. His technique as a pass rusher is excellent. I like how physically he gets off the the blocks in the run game, and I think he's a plus athlete on film. So I'm going to go with Patrick Jones from Pitt as my number one.
1: I like Patrick Jones. As a 4 3 defensive end, he's one of my most underrated guys. Because unfortunately, I don't see him being a plus athlete on film. Get that hand on the ground. He's got those pass rush moves. He's got one of the better bull, bull rush moves in the entire draft. You know, he's strong. He can, you know, obviously stop the run. You know, he can get after the quarterback. I see him as a 4 3 defensive end personally. Uh, we'll see how he tests. I think he is going to be underwhelming as an athlete, and that's why I would keep him as a as a 4-3 defensive end. Even though he didn't have a good senior bowl week, I saw him being dominated by by some offensive linemen out there. I'm still high on him, and I think he's a, a third-round steal for somebody, but it will be for a 4-3 team. All right, how about uh, let's talk about some underrated guys just at the linebacker position in general.
2: My underrated guys are Patty Fisher, um, Charles Snowden and Savin Collins, all guys I've mentioned before. How about overrated? Overrated, I got Chaz Surratt, uh, a linebacker from North Carolina. Um, he's 6'2", 225 pounds. He's a senior, four years of production, converted quarterback, three-star recruit out of high school. He has four-five speed as a linebacker. I like how he's physical in space in the run game, um, but he needs to be more physical holding the point of attack, drops into zone coverage for the Tar Heels defense, um, I see him as an average tackler.
1: I think the biggest problem is I think he needs better positioning in the run game as a linebacker. There are plenty of times that I saw in film where Chas Surratt, whether it's like third and two or fourth and one, he's filling that hole. And he makes that tackle in the hole to, to stop the running back all by himself. And that's pretty impressive for a guy who's about 230. I mean, he's not a big guy for that matter, but he knows how to play with leverage and. You know, he made those key tackles on those key downs. I think he's a lot more instinctive than people give him credit for, considering that he made the switch after only after being a quarterback, even in college, right? I mean, he's new to the position. He's 24 years old. That's the only drawback I see. But I think him and Micah Parsons, they're actually similar prospects. Parsons is just more of a plus athlete. He's got better speed, but Jess Serrat is also not a bad athlete. And he's also got plenty of speed out there. So I always ask myself the question, would you take Micah Parson in the top 15? or would you take somebody like Chess Surratt in the third round? And then you could pretty much get a similar player. You know, there was one name missing, Aziz Azulari. Where do you stand on him? Because I have him as my number one outside linebacker, 3-4 outside linebacker, by the way. He played defensive end. He's got really long arms. He's like 6'2", 250, a little bit shorter than I would like as a 3-4 outside linebacker. I want those guys 6'3". But because of his really long arms, because of his athleticism, because of his motor, because of his ability to bend around the edge, he was another guy just on film. He made plays. When Georgia was, every time I turn on the tape for a young player, whether it was redshirt freshman year or redshirt sophomore year, this guy made plays. And this is what I want in my 3-4 outside linebacker. And I just think he's athletic and he's going to be able to transition. Uh, obviously, you you didn't have him in your top five anywhere.
2: Yeah, he's one of my overrated guys. I mean, I could give you the scouting report. He's three 240 pounds, redshirt sophomore. He's got three years of production, five and a half sacks in 2019 and 2020. Uh, He's a four-star recruit out of high school. He's only 20 years old, which is going to make him really attractive. Um, Needs to get off blocks better in the run game. Played defensive end for Georgia. I don't think he's a great pass rusher from the edge. He does have decent awareness from the run. I think what really is attracting him is uh, he has excellent college production.
1: Isn't that what you want?
2: Well, he's just not a great pass rusher, and I, I just... If he he isn't getting off blocks very well,
1: then he's not a great pass rusher. Why would I draft him high? I definitely see him as a top 15, top 20 prospect in this draft. And I am like pounding the table saying draft Aziz Ajulari. I mean, he is going to be a very good player. And that's what you want. You want upside. Ajulari is 20 years old and he is already a pretty good player. He's already a good player. And you know that the sky is the limit. Yeah, I love his motor. He's one of my top guys in in this draft, just period. I wanted to go with my underrated guy. I wanted to mention Buddy Johnson. He played middle linebacker for Texas A&M. Really athletic, sideline to sideline speed. He's going to test really well. And he was the leader of that defense. He's a good tackler. He fills the hole. He's able to fight through the trash. Um... I just think he gives you that flexibility. He can be a Mike linebacker, or he can be a 3-4 inside linebacker. Another guy that just made plays was a playmaker for that Texas A&M defense, and whether it was a fumble or an interception, I saw that against like Florida. He made a big-time play at the end of the game. Buddy Johnson is kind of one of those guys that I feel like late third, early fourth-round pick, you're getting a starting type of linebacker and and not paying a, a premium price how about a sleeper you have a sleeper for us yeah I'd say uh Derek
2: Barnes um he's an outside linebacker for Tor- Purdue uh, He's 6'1 245 pounds he's a senior four years of production for the Boilermakers he's got 4'7 speed plenty of starting experience I like his acceleration once he knows where the ball is going decent at covering running backs so I like the physicality he plays with I think he's an excellent pass rusher for a 4-3 outside linebacker in college, and he gets off blocks well in the run game.
1: I'm going to mention a guy we had on the show earlier um, on our podcast, Chris Garrett uh, from Concordia. Uh, he's a D2 guy making the switch from defensive end to outside linebacker. He was at the Hula Bowl. Obviously, he's got a terrific first step. He's an athletic guy. He's got long arms. I just think that when you show an ability to get after the quarterback and something that he has done, plenty of sacks. I mean, he's had like 15 fumbles throughout his career during those 28 career games that he started. Chris Garrett is a name to keep an eye on. He's not going to get drafted. He's going to be invited to camp as an undrafted free agent. But I think this is one of those guys that could blossom with more NFL coaching because, I mean, he's making the switch. Which group of linebackers did you like best? I mean, when you put them in a category, did you like the 3-4 the outside linebackers, 4-3 outside linebackers, or inside linebackers? I really like the 4-3 outside linebackers.
2: I think there's some kind of special ones in there. It's kind of like you've got really the extremes... As far as like having certain abilities, I mean you got the really highly productive in college one. You've got Charles Snowden who's just really tall, and it's interesting to think about him as a four-three outside linebacker. You know, a great athlete like Micah Parsons. You've got just a great producer like owusu Karamoa. So, yeah, I mean take your pick with the group, but you know whatever you do, whatever your draft philosophy, but there there is something for you.
1: We ran through the linebackers. We had Kevin Thompson on, and we want to thank him for being with us, the quarterback from Washington. We wish him well. Talked about Drew Brees. We talked about free agency. We've seen the Jaguars. You know, We've seen the the Patriots make a lot of moves. There are a lot of teams that are kind of staying back a little bit, but be patient. I mean, this is probably the best strategy out there. Don't splurge. Don't throw out a lot of money. Just stay patient, get to the second week, and then you can get some of those bargains. And you might get one of those wide receivers that right now is still trying to find that premium deal but isn't going to get it. And you'll get a really good player. I always say, be careful during the free agency period. Even you, even though you have money and the salary cap goes up every year. Get those bargain guys and free agency and and build your team through the draft. Thank you for listening to another episode of BlitzCast. Take care, everyone.